Hi, my name's Hudson, and I'm a geoholic. Hey, everyone. Nick with Bad Elf here again. Another Geoholics podcast tech minute. Uh, today, I want to give a quick shout out. Recently, you may have been seeing in the news that SpaceX has been launching a mission uh, that put up more Starlink satellites into the sky. If you're familiar, the Starlink is a system of that's going to grow upwards of 12,000 satellites that sit in orbit around the Earth, providing broadband internet to the entire world. Um, while this is, is extremely uh, interesting, new, innovative, um, it also has some drawbacks. Uh, people have been reporting all over the globe being able to actually see these satellites up in the sky. So if you think you're seeing a space alien or a UFO, you may want to check out the Starlink mission by space by uh, put up there by Elon Musk. Elon said the way he's going to fund SpaceX moving into the future to take people in outer space. The Starlink mission, like I said, broadband internet. That's a tech minute for you guys today. Hopefully everybody's staying safe out there. Again, Nick with Bad Elf. You guys have a great day. Ready, set, go. You guys up for this one? Rudy Toot Toot, boys. Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 34 of The Geoholics, a podcast produced by and for geomatics professionals. This is a big one for me, being a Chicago guy, also known as the Walter Payton episode. Sweetness himself. Sweetness himself. It was a, uh, it was a no-brainer. Join the Geoholics fan club. For every 20 bucks you donate to the Geoholics GoFundMe account, you'll receive... A couple Geoholics wristbands and a highly sought after t-shirt along with having your name mentioned on the next podcast and quick shout out to uh, Trent Keenan. I got his stuff in the mail finally over the weekend. So my apologies, my friend, but you should actually receive it the, today, the day of this recording. So enjoy, buddy. And of course, that opening numbers, outlaw in-laws, our good friends, just another outlaw. They are Raphael, Corey, and Clint. Uh, just like uh, just like Carol Pacey and the rest of the the, the guys, we miss these guys. Uh, can't wait to see uh, any live music. Uh, it's it's definitely something missing from my social life. But check them out. They're the best cow punk you're ever gonna hear. Uh, I know that they are currently working on a new record, but with the COVID nineteen circumstances, I'm not sure how long it's gonna be before before, before we see that. But in the meantime, check the music out on Spotify and Apple Music, and of course, the videos on YouTube. And if you really want to be entertained, make sure you follow their Facebook page and support your local musicians any way possible. Before we get into this, I just want to say thank you to Big Shoots, producer Jake, all our guests, our loyal listeners, our friends of the program, our families for allowing us to do that, for allowing us to get to 10,000 listeners. Can you guys freaking believe that? Whoop, whoop. Hey, we thank you too, Delphi. We can't forget you. Well, I appreciate that. But uh, without you guys, it wouldn't have happened. That's for sure. I mean, who knew 
gosh, probably almost a year ago that, you know, Schutz and I were thinking about this idea and, you know, we've said it before, we had no idea how to get it from our head to <laughs> other people's ears. And that's where producer Jake came in. And so without producer Jake, it never would have happened. But congratulations, guys, 10,000 listeners, huge, huge milestone, in my opinion. Who knew this was ever going to happen? Well, I got to say with this uh, episode 34 being Walter Payton, I don't know if we can say those three letters with the shield, that company, without them hearing it and like suing us. But they have that Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go ahead and nominate Jake for it. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Agreed. Agreed. So anyways, thank you everybody for uh, helping us to be the success that it is. We're humbled and it just continues to motivate us to get good guests. And, um, you know, we got some other really creative things coming down the pipe. So really excited for the future of the Geoholics. I mentioned our friends in the program. Let's be sure to give them a shout out. Uh, and of course, thank you to them for believing in us and their continued support. First is Bad Elf GPS. You can find them at bad-elf.com forward slash flex to check out the new Flex GNSS receiver. And we thank Dr. Neek and Bad Elf for the Bad Elf Tech Minute that you guys are hearing before uh, the more recent episodes. So thank you to those guys. And then we got Land Surveyors United. Uh, you can find them at landsurveyorsunited.com. Fantastic website by Mr. Farrow. All sorts of, uh, what does he call them? Different links and areas, pages you can go to, including a Geoholics one. It's over 16,000 members. Check it out, landsurveyorsunited.com. Yep, he had something new all the time, it seems like. And you can follow those guys, or, or uh, Justin, on his social media outlets being you know, Facebook and, and LinkedIn and stuff like that. So check them out. And we have Unifly, U-N-I-F-L-I dot arrow. And uh, Scott Ohana and his team, they have developed a process, basically a one-stop process for utilizing drones and UAVs for mapping. So check them out to find out more. And then there's always Parkland College, their land survey program in Champaign, Illinois. Very close to Soldier Field, keeping that uh, theme going. You can find their program at parkland.edu slash surveying. That's Corey Allred. Uh, he, if you want to find out more about him personally, go back a few episodes and then check out the program, parkland.edu slash surveying. Great job, Shoots. Last but not least, Advanced Geodetic Surveys, better known as AGS to those of us in the industry. Check out their website at agsgps.com. There are all your equipment needs, sales, service, rentals, you name it, they got it. I've used them personally in the past and uh, great customer service, great prices. You just can't beat it, so be sure to check them out. This, of course, is another COVID-19 social distancing, distancing episode, so we're all fully remote and we appreciate your patience. I, of course, am broadcasting a recording from Studio Double D. Big Shoots is in the nerdery, and I took it upon myself to coin producer Jake's studio as the Beat Lab. For those of you that are friends of Step Brothers, you know where that came from. I just happened to watch it this past week, and it's one of my all-time favorite movies. So, PJ's in the Beat Lab. With the boy, let's catch up with the boys a little bit. Producer Jake in a lot of pub tonight. What's new with you, buddy? 
Yeah, I've done. This is great. A lot of spotlight. Um, yeah, just want to reiterate what you said. It's great to hit that that ten thousand uh, milestone. Something we've been chasing for a while, and just keeps us on track to hit our goals before the end of the year. Um, I think for sure, with this being what episode you said thirty four, yep. we've got what eighteen left to hit our fifty two week one year anniversary. So that's <laughs> going to be huge. Hopefully, by when that time comes around, we can kind of plan something to celebrate. Um, with all the craziness happening. So just thanks to the friends of the program. Thanks to everyone who's listening. It's a huge milestone across and we're definitely seeing an increase in numbers um, with everyone being home and, and looking for some sort of entertainment. So if you're new, we're glad to have you here and we're just looking forward to the future here. Um, Ryan, what have you been up to? Um, going insane. I want to leave my house. I love my family, but I think I've, uh, hit my limit for a while i think when this is all over we're just gonna like scatter and we'll come home in like a month <laughs> i uh i found online for the ps3 i know this is like a long story for the sega genesis like original sonic games and stuff so i'm bringing my son back to back to late 80s and when it popped up and it's like sega i was like you have no idea how exciting this was when i was your age <laughs> So that's been pretty much all of my free time at this point. Uh, what about you, Kent? Um, well, I, your your video game story. I actually have a original. I don't even know if you ever played this game, but the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Oh yeah. You know, talking about like the original, like Space Invaders and Defender and Asteroids and stuff like that. I uh, I, I worked with this guy that like refurbish those things this is a number of years ago so i had to do one for me and i've got one in a box with a shit ton of games that if you and hudson ever want to dive into that just let me know go back even further just one joystick with the one red button right? yes exactly yeah. i think that's about where his skill level is right now the tank game and stuff oh my god those are the best. <laughs> nothing better nothing pawn holy crap <laughs> talk about some memories well anyways oh i do a question for you guys i heard this on a sports talk show this past week so i'm curious what both of your answers are going to be to this question so let's go to producer jake first okay so producer jake would you rather hit a game-winning home run or make a game-winning over-the-wall catch it's gotta you gotta you gotta hit it for sure I mean, the sound and everything, and, like, right when you can tell it's going to go go yard, like, I don't know. I just feel like being the guy who wins it is better than being the guy who makes the save. You know, people are going to watch the clip of you hitting it over the wall more times than they're going to go back and watch you just making a clutch catch gotcha. and saving the game, right? So yeah. I, you got to hit it. What's your, uh, what's your take, Shoots? Uh, it depends on who's the home team. <laughs> is oh. the crowd oh man either way like <clears throat> whoever's batting needs to be the home team and then either one but when you get to hit it watch it and then round the bases that entire time that's just a victory lap that's a really I mean, good point there's I more may have been watching some old baseball and clips and there was one from like early 2000s or 2010s carlos gomez hit a walk-off homer he stood there and watched that thing go out of the park and then took his sweet time around the bases. And I was like, yep, that's exactly how I would do it. <laughs> what great. about you? 
You know what? I'm going to be different. I would prefer 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 the uh, over the wall game winning catch, and I think it's just because when I like when I did play baseball in high school and I wasn't pitching, I was playing uh, left field, and I can remember making a couple diving catches. And every time I see those guys do it on TV, and they just like you know jump to the highest possible point, the glove is as extended as far as it possibly can be, and they snag it over the wall. To win the game, I just think that would be the most unbelievable feeling in the world. So um, I'm going to be different. But anyways, I just wanted to run that by you guys. For me, um, my allergies are absolutely kicking my ass. So excuse my voice. I'm trying everything. Uh, Caught up on The Last Dance. I am absolutely loving that show on ESPN. Uh, looking, we, we're looking for another series to binge watch because there's plenty of free time. So we started watching another series on Netflix called Bloodline, which has kept my attention through 10 episodes. So I'm excited about that one. And I also caught myself watching some really weird things like extreme mountain biking. I don't know if you've ever watched these guys, but it's freaking ridiculous what these guys do. Um, and rock crawlers. Who knew about these things, these massive machines that are able to somehow make their way up the side of mountains? I, it's unbelievable the power these things have. And their so, axles have like three feet of clay in them. It's unbelievable. It's crazy. I've never seen like it. I mean, I'll just, I'll sit at my, at, my, uh, at my computer and have that on the TV. And it's just like mindless TV, you know. But so anyways, those are a couple of things that I've become addicted to for some crazy ass reason. Um, other than that... Ooh. I just want to make sure to remind everybody to reach out to your family and friends during this time. It just takes a couple minutes to do so. I've had a couple friends um, message me, let me know if they lost their jobs for different reasons and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I mean, everybody's has some struggles right now and it's important to look out for each other. So take a couple minutes to reach out to your family and friends and make sure they're doing okay. One quick thing before you we go it. any further. Yep. I saw something online that said ESPN's discussing televising Korean baseball games. Oh, I should not be any more excited for something I've never seen before in my life. Absolutely. I would watch that for sure. Jake, no you totally into it or what? Yeah, I'd check it out. I mean, this past weekend with the draft and everything, it was like a little bit of taste. And I was like, oh, hold on. Like things are normal. Sports are on. But then, like, the second that was over and it was done, it was, like, right back down to where we were. So we're, we got to get something here just to boost morale. Yep, I agree. I would definitely watch that. I'll have to keep my eye out for it for sure. Okay, let's move on. Our uh, safety apparel safety share for this week. Uh, safety apparel, these guys are making the best vests on the planet. Um, as I mentioned in the past, can confirm all my guys wear them. They're unbelievable. The quality is second to none. Check them out at safetyapparel.us and be sure to follow them on all social media platforms. Some pretty entertaining stuff being posted there. My topic for this week, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to lose my freaking mind. I swear to God. I, again, saw a video posted on one of these Facebook survey pages. I'm not going to mention which one, but people could probably guess by a gentleman by the name of, let's go with David E. Okay. So David E posts this video. He is sitting in his survey rig, right? And he's got his phone out the front window and he's videoing these two surveyors 
work, having their, their instruments set up literally in the center of a two-lane road, like two cones ahead of them, two cones behind them, no safety vests on, cars flying by them on either side, right? And the audio of the video that goes along with the video is him playing Queens, Another One Bites the Dust in the background. I saw this, I'm like, you gotta be freaking kidding me. You know, it's almost like making light of the situation. You got a couple guys out in the middle of a two lane road with cars literally flying by them on either side. No, no PPE, you know, I mean, obviously there's no traffic control, although these cars would be slowing down. None of that stuff. That's how people get killed, folks. Please take your safety a little bit more seriously. Without giving away who David E. is or the website you saw it on, do you know whereabouts this video was taped? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I probably could dig into like his profile or whatever and see where they're located. But Just curious. Yeah, no, I'm, not, I'm really not sure. But regardless, I guarantee you stuff like that happens every single day all over the country. So, guys, be careful. It's just setting yourselves up for uh, for something catastrophic. And if there's one thing that we want to make sure is that we try to promote safety each and every episode. And if it saves somebody's life, oh, my God, that would be the best reward ever. So just be careful out there, guys, and use your heads. And if you need PPE, go to the Safety Apparel website. Introduction of our guest tonight. Tonight we have Matt Vielbaum, who is a registered surveyor, and he's a project surveyor and a crew chief for, hopefully I get this right, is it, is it Tool? No, everybody calls it Tool. It's Towel. Towel. Like, kind of like, like your bath towel. Gotcha. Towel <laughs> Inc. in Concord, California. A little bit about Matt, born in Provo, Utah, and he grew up in both the San Francisco Bay Area and Payson, Utah. And something I'm going to circle back to with Matt, because this was one of my favorite movies of all time, especially when I was in high school. His locker at Payson High School was in the movie Footloose. So I'm assuming a part of the movie was filmed at his high school. Definitely want to circle back on that. Matt also attended Westwood College of Technology in Denver uh, in the and was in the architectural drafting and design program. And Utah Valley State College also uh, was in the architectural drafting design program. So another interesting thing about Matt is he went through the um, apprentice program in California, operating operator engineer, um, what's the word, unit three, I believe that's right. Local three. Local. Local three, I'm sorry. Local three. Not yeah. a union guy. Um, <laughs> do you know uh do you know John Rector, just out of curiosity? I know John Rector quite well. I've he's been a, he's a special business agent for the apprentices, so he deals with every single one of us that comes through the program. Yep, we had John on and uh he was not only a great guest, but had a lot to say about the program and uh we were very impressed, no doubt. Matt is married with a couple teenagers, he's busy there. He's a band dad. Both of his girls are uh, in the marching band, so he spends a lot of time on the weekends with that. His hobbies include ham radio. His call sign is KC7YHK, which makes absolutely no sense to me, but I'm going to find out more about that. And he has recently started his own podcast, which we'll dig into. Another cool thing, he is an Eagle Scout, which if anybody has ever completed that what a huge accomplishment so kudos to him for that oakland a's fan and a mclaren f1 fan 
He's worked in the survey world for about 14 years and achieved his California LS last year. Matt, thank you so much for being here, buddy. Thank you for having me on. I, I appreciate it. It's been a, a lot of fun uh, listening to you guys and actually getting the opportunity to be on the show has been, uh, I've been looking forward to it for a couple of weeks, something different. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. And it's great for us to get different perspectives. So we appreciate you being here. Some things on your bio, I definitely want to talk to you a little bit about. First of all, the Footloose Connection. Tell us about that. Shoot it. Well, that film was actually um, produced and filmed in Payson, Utah. Wow. So all of the scenes at the high school, the famous stadium scene, that stadium's still there. <laughs> um, I ran track for years and we'd always go underneath and go, this is where it was filmed. Wow. <laughs> the, the one interesting thing about that, though, is the uh, the the factory that he worked in the the, yeah. the mill that yeah. is actually in a different town about 45 minutes north oh. and it is in still oper it's still operating today you hmm. can still buy flour from them pancake mixes and everything it's called the lehigh flour mill oh my god that's so crazy yeah <laughs> I, uh, I, I love that movie i swear it's one of my favorites i mean, never forget when it came yeah out. so you know you got the six separations of kevin bacon absolutely absolutely i remember in high school when it came out i'm like oh my god i want to have hair like uh what was the name of the movie ren i think mm -hmm. right yeah. now you just now you just go for the cliff kingsbury look but <laughs> On, uh, well before we get into the the survey side of everything uh what was your eagle scout project my eagle scout project was actually painting park benches through um snow canyon in utah <laughs> Cool. How many, how many so, people did you have help you with that? Or was it just oh, you know? roughly what? Oh, about 40. So oh, we had about paint. 30 or 40 paint park benches of paint. I had to go get all the paint and it was all donated by the local paint store in our town. And then we went up into the Canyon and started painting them all. Did you get your uh, survey or mapping badge by chance? No, I actually had no clue about surveying until I was about 25. That's when I first really was introduced to it. Um, gotcha. by my father-in-law through the union. Oh, really? So, yeah. Yeah. I, I went to school for architecture, as you saw, and got married and started working for a few designers and architects and was not happy at all. <clears throat> and every architect I met seemed like he was just pissed off with the world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, is this really what I want to do in my life? Right. And I came home one day and my father-in-law was a business agent with operating engineers on the operator side. Okay. And he just, you know, when I told him that, I got the biggest grin on his face. And he, he handed me a list that he had been waiting to hand me for years. Wow. <laughs> he goes, I've circled a few things that I think you'd be good at. Hmm. And, uh, and I go, what's the surveying thing? Yeah. I had no clue what it was. Yeah. So he kind of pointed me in the right direction. Met with a few surveyors in the area here in California. And they all seemed really happy with what they did. They all enjoyed it and he gave me some good advice and uh, ended up uh, calling up the apprenticeship program. Did not talk to John Rector at that time. It was more uh, our apprentice director. It was Paul Schisler, who is now retired. Um, he brought me in and had me take a math test that was about 35 questions long. And I'm like, okay, cool. I pulled out my calculator and he took it out of my hand and says, you can't use that. <laughs> and uh, interesting thing is I actually failed the exam the first time. And he made me take lunch and come back. And 
I took it again and lo and behold, I passed it. So just needed to clear your head after that. Just needed to clear my head. He goes, I see where you're going. You got to start thinking like a surveyor. I'm not an architect. You were thrown off when they took that calculator away. Oh, exactly. I can do anything with that thing. So well, did you, did you go through the apprentice program then I guess right from the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. So what happened was, is I, I was there, he, he sat me down, he goes, all right, you're in the program. And he goes, but I've got about 15 guys ahead of you on the list. So I got to find work for them first. Hmm. And I was working for, uh, I, I was working for a designer at the time out of Roner Park. And uh, so I was in really no hurry. I'm like, well, you know, I, I've got a full-time job. So when you have some work for me, let me know. And literally within two weeks, they called me up and says, I got a job for you. I'm like, all right, cool. When do I start? And he's like, tomorrow. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm like, what is it? He goes, well, it's out on the bridge. I'm working for Kiwit. I'm like, all right, well, how long am I going to be out there for? He goes, I don't know. A day, two days, a month. We're not sure. So, you know, that was a shock. But, you know, I wasn't happy with what I was doing. So came home and talked to the wife and we, we decided to go ahead and take the plunge and just jump into it. And I pretty much worked ever in the industry ever since. So it's pretty, pretty good. That's a pretty good uh, first job. That's for sure. How long <laughs> did that project last? Uh, I got on it. Um, let's see. I was on the job for about six, seven months. And then I saw the writing on the wall. It was starting to come to an end. I did all the segmental work. So all the, all the, all the bents and columns and piers and everything were built. We're now building out from those piers. Um, and those went really quick because we did them in place. We could do about one segment a day. They were like 30 meters wide. So it wasn't like we were sitting around all day and we were getting them done. And uh, there was five crews five survey crews on the job working at the same time so we were we were moving and it got done pretty quick and towards the end we were hanging out at the bridge toll on the other end of the bay and we got to hang out and hide because there's nothing to do <laughs> and, I, and I couldn't do that so I started looking for another job and actually the, the LS on the project helped me find my job at towel oh wow okay yeah so you've been with that uh towel for quite some time yeah i was with towel for i i always say for eight years the first time around okay i did leave for us for a stint and then i came back two years ago gotcha so. so when you took the the job with towel the first time were you still in the union then or how does, how does that work yes yeah i was still okay. in the union okay. okay and so how it works is you you work with the union and and they um they dispatch you to union firms. So the the firm itself okay. is signatory with the union, and they there are certain projects, especially in the Bay Area, that are union projects. You have to be a union member to even mm -hmm. work on the project. <laughs> so a lot of companies will become signatory with the union, so that they can they can do those big municipal projects like bridges, mm -hmm. the overpasses, a lot of the freeway work. You work Caltrans, they have their own union, but they also supplement with our guys from Local 3 as well. Gotcha. Um, yeah, pretty much any of the heavy construction projects, you have to be a union member in the, in the Bay Area. So at what point do you work for Tal and you're no longer in the union? Like, are you in the union right now, technically, or no? 
Yes, currently I'm in I'm in the union right now as okay. as an LS. They do have a designation for that. Okay. Um, if I wanted to leave the union and go non-union and become management within the firm, um, I could do that, and that'd be a negotiation. You know, I'd have to take up with towel. You know, I've um, I I'm vested in the union, so I've been there for fourteen years now. Okay. So it's been, it's been some time, and you know, my pension's there, and it's it's kicking away and I don't know if it's quite beneficial for me at this moment to leave, but maybe in the future. Yeah. That was my question. At what point does it make sense <laughs> to, to do just that, to take yourself out of the union and, and work directly for the company? It's, it's really a, it's a case by case basis. You have to look at your, at yourself and, and what you want. I can definitely get paid hourly more but then the benefits are slightly different, right? So the, the benefit of the union is the union gold package benefits, right? So with a f wife and kids, having that premium medical care is, is really good. And that's one of the reasons I got into the union to begin with. So if it wasn't serving, it was going to be operating a garbage truck. Because <laughs> yeah. they got paid pretty well and they had the same benefits. And so, you know, right. the, the benefits of the union have just been great. Yep. So in reference to all the larger Bay Area projects being union and with that in mind, what's the, what would you consider the coolest project um, in your mind that you've worked on? Oh, that'd be the signature span on the Bay Bridge. <laughs> so I've done a couple of bridges. I did the Benicia Martinez Bridge. That was the one I started out on. And then with Towel. Um, we did a lot of the foundation work and for the approach on Yerba Buena, Yerba Buena Island for the signature span. So if anybody knows what the signature span is, it's the one that actually is the suspension portion of the bridge, not the, um, not the cast in place portion. So there's two portions to the new Bay Bridge that was just built. Curious, how old were you when uh, that earthquake occurred? What was it, like 88 or something like that? It was 89 during the World Series. I was with yep. my grandpa watching it on TV because he had the big TV. Yep. <laughs> yep. And uh, I was, what, 89? I was eight years old. Okay. So, so you remember it really well then, I'm assuming. I remember it. I remember grandma not wanting to get out of her chair. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, it was... It was a big one, and I remember, you know, not quite understanding why they couldn't play the rest of the baseball games at the right. time. Yeah. I was only eight. And that's why you went to school for architecture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wanted to shape the world in one way or another, but. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you just got your, uh, your LS. It was last year, correct, in California? Yeah. Yes. That's that's a huge accomplishment because what I am what I understand is that that's probably the hardest exam in the country to get past. Yeah, it it's hard. I, see, I just got it last year and I started in two thousand and six, so um, it's not an easy exam. Uh, I ended up taking it three times before I finally passed it, but the. Then the average is five. So I felt like, okay, cool. I'm above average, right? <laughs> so it's a 20% pass rate on average for that exam. Hmm. And the more you take it, the less likely you're going to pass it. Oh, really? Yes. The, the more guys I've, I've met have taken it 
10, 15 times and they still haven't passed the thing. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, I know it seems like it's, it's really hard. And I think it's different, different because we, we have different sets of laws in California Mm -hmm. that we have to follow. And it's the PLS act and the subdivision map act that a lot of States don't have. And if you study those and understand those, and then you understand your role as a surveyor. Once that sinks in your head, I, I think you're you're good to go. And that's what happened with me. Once I got all the crap out of my head and said, "Okay, well, who am I? What am I doing? What is my role? And what are the laws that govern me, not anybody else?" Then I, I passed it. Yeah, well, good for you. I know it's not easy. Um, I do have a question, circling back a little bit to the apprenticeship program. So uh, obviously you're, you know, pro-union and pro-apprenticeship. And I'm just curious, when you come across other surveyors who maybe didn't come up through that program, are those that had the opportunity to go through the apprenticeship program, like just that much further ahead than those that haven't? No, actually I've, so interesting enough about us is especially at towel is there's a really good geomatics program here in California at Fresno state. So a lot of guys come through Fresno state and I've actually met a lot of good guys from that program. And a lot of guys that still, you know, they were going through it when I was going through the apprenticeship program and, they they have don't have any advantage. I just think they have different experiences. Mm. Like going through the apprenticeship program, you're really field based, so you're really cautious about what you're doing in the field. Um, I didn't go to school for it. Um, the guys that did go to school for it, they they're really versed at you know understanding you know AutoCAD and understanding some of the adjustment programs and, and things like that and why we adjust certain things the way we adjust them. Uh, but they sometimes lack in the practicality of the field uh, in, in my mind. So, I mean, they, they get out in the field. They, they have to, they have an, uh, they have to do a, what is it called? An internship every summer. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to graduate the program. So they get a little little taste of it, but uh, not nearly like the guys out in the field do. But on the reverse, it took me years before somebody was willing to give me a shot to mm-hmm. go into the, into the office. Mm-hmm. So I had to prove to them that, you know, I had the capability to do that through my drafting skills from being in the architectural programs. Yeah, that's really, a, really an interesting answer. So basically, comparing those two paths, um, the individual comes out of either one of those two programs with different strengths and different weaknesses, basically. Correct. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes yeah. sense. And that's why I think right now, like where we're at right now in, in our company is that we've got a lot of guys that are gone through the the apprenticeship program and are really strong out in the field and we have a lot of guys that go through Fresno and we make a really good team. So we were, we know who's strong where, I mean, I'm as much as I have drafted, heck there's guys that are a lot faster at it than I am. 
So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm willing to say, here, you do it. You take care of it. Get it done a lot quicker than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no problem with that. And they do the same thing. If you, somebody's better out in the field at something, here, you go take care of it. We're, we're working together to accomplish this one goal. And that's to get yeah. the project done. Well, that's, that's a sign of a good team right there and, and good leadership, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. The guys that lead the program over there at Towler are guys I've known for a long time. So, Very cool. Sounds like you're in a good spot. Um, yeah. so you've been, like you mentioned, you know, you've been surveying for around 14 years. Um, one thing we like to do is give people an opportunity to, uh, you know, give a shout out to their mentors because without mentorship, um, we, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we would not have a lot of good surveyors. So who are your mentors? Oh, geez, I've got a lot of them. <laughs> so when I had my licensing exam, I had eight guys assigned for me to, to sit down for my license, and we only need four. Wow. So um, uh, first crew chief I ever had, um, Julie Hilton. She was great, gave me the best advice ever. Um, flat out told me, you've got your whole career to, to learn this stuff. Don't try to learn it all in one day. Take your time. And uh, here I am. I if it weren't for her, I probably wouldn't have survived at first. And then um, after that, it'd be Ian McNeil, another guy that just retired from the union. Oh, what last year? He he spent years with me teaching me how to become a chief. Saw my potential and slapped me in the back of the head a few times. <laughs> Said, "Stop doing that." <laughs> uh, and then. Then on the other end, the LSs that really pushed me forward were um, John May. He's my survey manager now. He's the one that brought me back into Towel. Um, and then Alex Martinez, also one of our survey managers at Towel. He's the one that gave me the opportunity to be in the office. Said, hey, why don't you come work for me? I'll teach you the office side of things. And, uh, and then while I was working for Alex at a different company, there was an LS there, his name's Vince Diallo. Um, one of the two Vinces in the Bay Areas, <laughs> <laughs> known for their uh, boundary uh, resolutions. If you have a boundary, you call a Vince. You call a Vince. And I worked for one of them, and he, he really taught me a lot. And, and I, the short amount of time I worked for him. So that was, uh, those are my, my main mentors that really pushed me through the program. That's great. And I'm sure, I'm sure it's safe to say that without, uh, without those folks, you wouldn't be where you are in your career and headed down the, uh, the path that you are. So uh, oh, I definitely not. I think it's important that we uh, you know, give kudos to those, those folks that impact our lives. So I appreciate you taking the time to do that. Yeah, no problem. And, and that's, a, that's another reason why the apprenticeship program I think is really good is because it, it actually is a mentoring program. They stick you with guys that have all this experience and they're, they're there to teach you and, and, and push you ahead. A it's like when I first started and I was studying all the time, Ian asked me, he goes, why do you keep studying? He goes, you just going to be, you know what you're doing. I go, well, I don't want to be in the field the rest of my life. <laughs> no offense. but I don't want to be you. And he, he said, no offense taken. He goes, gave me two thumbs up and said, keep going. You know, right. that you don't, that's right. You don't want to be, you know, 70 years old, hut, pounding hubs all day long. 
Yep. Yep. Um, that's true. And, um, you know, I think you'd agree you need, you need both types, you know, you need those folks that take tremendous pride in, well, everything they do, but those folks that, you know, lead crews out in the field and they're invaluable to, to what we do. And that's, that's where the money is made and lost. So, you know, those guys that, you know, commit their, their livelihood to doing a professional job day in and day out, whether it be on the field side or the office side, both need to be highly respected because without one or the other doing their job to the highest level, you know, we're, we're not going to be successful. No, exactly. I remember um, Paul Schistler, uh, when I joined the apprenticeship program, he flat out said, you know, a chainman, a good chainman is worth his weight in gold. He'll, he'll, he'll save a project. Because you know, even though he's the lowest guy on the crew, a lot of the times, a good one, I mean, he that knows what he's doing will save you headaches in, in the long run. So, yep. yeah, Absolutely. they're all, we're all important. We all have our little piece we play. Yeah, no question about that. What, um, over the course of your career, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen to the profession or, you know, technological advancements that may have altered the profession, whether that be for better or for worse? Jeez, I think um, I think it was all available. The technology we're using now, when I first started, I mean, it started in 2006, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I got exposed to some of the dealer equipment just because that's what a lot of the guys had. But when I first started out, I mean, we were using robotic total stations already and down to two-man crews, which was hard for the union to handle because it specified an apprentice had to be on a three-man crew. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So we were thrown right off the bat into two man crews and the, the union and the apprenticeship had to, had to work with that, try to figure that out. Um, but I think it works. Um, the disadvantages is now is I am probably more efficient by myself than I am with a crew mm. in a lot of situations. Um, just cause I know what I need to get done and I don't have to communicate it. And I can just go out and do it. And we have the gear and the equipment to do so. Um, and that, I think, is going to be a problem with training up any of the new guys that are coming around because they're not gaining the same knowledge mm -hmm. on how to do things. You know, sometimes pulling out the instrument's not the answer. And um, they're not seeing how to do it without an instrument or they're not seeing how we interact on a project with the client and what the needs they have are, you know, they're, they're just not seeing that stuff. And I, I think that's a detriment to what we're doing to, to the future generations of, of surveyors. I'm yep, just not, I'm not seeing it. Yep. You nailed it on the head and that's exactly why we need guys like you to take those people that you just referenced, you know, under your wing and, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I know there's certain things that can be done just as fast with a, a one-person crew in some cases than a two-person crew. But, you know, it's not something that, you know, I would like to think that most companies don't make a habit of sending out one-man crews, but I know that's not always the case. Every company's different. You have these little small mom and pops working out of their garage. Um, you know, they're trying to, uh, you know, get every 
get, get the biggest bang for the buck. And that means going out and buying, you know, a robot and a GPS and doing everything one man crew. But there's so many things. One of the most important ones being that, you know, we're missing out on a lot of mentoring opportunities and we're already facing a, you know, almost a crisis situation when it comes to a shortage of surveyors on top of the fact that, you know, I say it a hundred times, you know, me being, you know, 52, 53 tomorrow, by the way, um, still a, a, a young surveyor. When you put it into perspective, you know, the, the average age is like, you know, 60 some years old or whatever. It's, it's, it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's about it with the union too. The average guy is about in his, in his mid fifties. And so it's, and you can retire. Like I started when I was 25, I can retire when I'm 55, 56 years old. Interesting. And so, but that's the average age of the guys just because they can't seem to, to go. Yeah. There's nobody to replace them. Right. And then the other disadvantage of that too is, you know, as you guys are so big on safety, having one guy out there by themselves is just not a good idea. Not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if somebody ran you over or out here where we're at in rattlesnake country, mm. get bit by a snake and there's nobody there to help you out. You know, you're, you're toast. Yep. Yep. No question. Yeah. No question. Um, so what, if I remember right talking to John, I mean, uh, John Rector, that is, the, the apprenticeship program is, is still really successful. There's a backlog of, of people wanting to get into it, if I remember right. Yeah. That's, that's good news. Yeah. So the <laughs> apprenticeship program usually has about 250 guys or so. I, I say guys, it's, I be politically correct, it's people. <laughs> on the uh, on that list trying to get into the program every year um mm. uh, i was very fortunate to have family that was in the union and kind of directed me through that um i i know it's hard some of the guys wait on the list for two three years before they get their chance but the reason it's successful is they they take you from the very beginning and the very first unit you learn the way it works is i'm sure john went over it is you have mandatory classes you have to take for three hours a week, every week for four years. <laughs> wow. And then every, there's what is called eight steps or um, periods, they call them. And each one of those is a thousand hours booked in the field. Wow. So you have to complete your book work for that period and that step and then complete a thousand hours out in the field for you to move on and you don't journey out and become a, what they consider a journeyman for two years. Wow. And then if you want to become a crew chief with the union and a certified chief, like I am, you have to complete all four years of the program. Uh, Is there a, uh, a, like a continuing education component to it at, after that or how, how does that work? No, no, it's pretty much once you've completed it, see the certificates on the wall. Once you've completed it, it, you're done. Um, and then it's more of they come to you and ask you to help out with mm. the program in the future, teaching oh, cool. the guys. And a lot of the guys that taught me were instructors at, um, at the apprenticeship. They were our coworkers and our chiefs. Like Julie, she was one of the in instructors at the apprenticeship. And she, I was a first period apprentice working under her at work. So I never got rid of her. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah it's it's a good program they teach you from the very get-go some of the union stuff why the union's good 
and then they get into history with the rope stretchers of Egypt. So yeah. you're first you get into a lot of history, yeah. and then they get into math, and it's a lot of math. And they teach you how to do everything from calcing out um, property corners and doing small adjustments for level loops out in the field in real time if you needed to. So that, that was good. Yeah. So it's a really pay it forward program where yes, it's just the, the ball keeps rolling with it. So you'll never necessarily run out of teachers. Correct. Yeah. They, they, they want you to, after you get licensed, especially they want you to come back and, and help out. They want so you I'm to, not, but it's not required. Or anything. It's not required. They would like you to. They Part of the problem is right now is they're trying to get accredited through the state to be an accredited program. So you actually get college credits for going through their program. Gotcha. Um, and for them to do that, you have to have your teaching credentials. So they're looking for guys that are unlike me <laughs> that have a, a four-year degree or, and can teach. Got it. Now, uh, the simple question that we, we seem to ask everybody is, uh, do you feel surveying is a trade or a profession? I think it's both. Okay. It's, honestly, it's, 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 honestly, it's on, both. Uh, thoughts on that or just, I, I kind of can guess where you're going to go, but <laughs> who will the audience, of course? <laughs> it's a trade, yes, because we uh, we're doing something physical with our hands. And it's a profession because not everything we do is with our hands. We have the, the legal aspect of it and we have the, uh, the resolution or the, the science and the mathematics behind it. But at the end, you also have what they call the art or the trade portion of it. So I, I honestly think it's a, it's a good mix of, of both, uh, you know, not being blue collar and not being white collar, but I say we're baby blue. <laughs> yeah, I like that. You know, that's a good answer. And I, I think, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, but, um, and I can't remember which one of our, of our guests put it this way, but they basically said, it's what you make of it. You know I mean? Yeah. If you want to be a profession, you can be a, a professional through and through. If you want to be a trade, you know, and consider yourself more of a, a blue collar type worker, that's fine too. But again, we need both. So I, I agree. I agree. You know, it it, it, it it could be one or the other for sure, or it can be a combination of the two, no doubt. Yeah. I consider myself a combination of both. I work out in the field and in the office and I do both sides. So mm -hmm. I think I, I went from being purely trade to becoming a, a more of a professional. And I think I'm blurring those lines a little bit. So Sure. Does uh, California have a post-secondary education requirement then like a two or a four year degree? No, we do not. Um, I, I got my license and I am, I do not have a, a degree at all. I never finished either one of those programs. Um, I decided school wasn't for me and the apprenticeship was more my speed and what I enjoyed. So, um, yeah. yeah, they do, they do not. And that's a big debate in California right now. Um, our, our state board is being pressured by a lot of other boards uh, in the country to, to make us, uh, to make us a an accredited program, basically, where you have to have a four year degree. Mm. Uh, there's there's some states I looked at. I can't even get my LSIT because I don't have a two year degree. Yep. <laughs> right. So, um, no, I mean, I'm I'm glad that they don't 
but the other end of things, I mean, it, it could be a, I think it'd be a detriment if we, if we went to where you had to have a, a, a degree. Uh, yeah. I just well, don't see a value in that. I, I, um, you know, you, you kind of answered my question because a, a question we've been asking lately, and I think it's interesting, is what your thoughts would be on having a, rather than like a, a state by state requirement, but maybe a national requirement in order to, you know, take the LSIT or whatever, and whether that be a two-year degree or a four-year degree, not that I'm in favor of, of that, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on having a, a national requirement. I think it's a good idea, um, a national requirement. I mean, we're kind of there now. The way our state board looks at it, we're trying to change how you apply for your license. So they want to get it out of your head that you're applying to take it an exam. You're not applying to taking it to take an exam. You're applying for licensure to become licensed within the state. And if you can prove that you deserve to be licensed within the state, why not receive it? Right. Mm -hmm. So all of that is to take your exams and, you know, the LSIT and the national exam are both through a national examination board, the NCES. Mm -hmm. And in the state of California, they're trying to make it to where you self qualify to take the, the state test as well because we've gone computer-based with it now, and it's also multiple choice now. It's no longer the long form essay that it used to be. So um, doing that, and once you've passed all your exams, and then you come to them and say, here, I've meet your state requirements. Um, I, I deserve to be licensed. And, and usually, once you've done all of that, there shouldn't be a problem. Sure, sure. I uh, go backwards just a little bit here, but I'm 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 very curious about the uh, the ham radio component <laughs> of your life. Um, tell tell me a little bit about that. I mean, I've always been so curious about what you know, amateur radio operators, whatever, what 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 they do. I mean, what what is it that you do that uh, gets you excited as as far as being a ham radio operator? Okay, so honestly, I haven't operated a ham radio since I was a teenager. I got my license when I was like 16. Uh, um, I took an aviation electronics class in high school. Okay. And um, the teacher's like, hey, for fun, you want to come spend the summer with me and get your ham radio license? I'm like, sure. <laughs> Something to do for the summer, right? And so I did. Um, but the, the main, main thing I've learned through that is that they are there as a secondary emergency communication system. So main thing is if you hear an SOS over the radio, you have to respond. Mm -hmm. You, you are not allowed to just put it down. You are required to respond and get emergencies, um, services online. And you are to stay on that radio channel with that person that sent out the SOS. So okay. that's a big thing. So and then, couple of questions real quick sorry uh, to interrupt you no problem that license you got however many years ago does that ever expire it does every 10 years uh, but it's really easy it's really really easy to just pay a 10 dollar fee and have it extended another 10 years so did you do that or is yours currently expired oh no i've done it twice now okay. so it's um 
it's it should be current. You can go to the FCC website and look my name up, and there I am. Hmm. And then do you have one of those gigantic like uh, antennas <laughs> in the house? And yeah. are you prepared? No, no, no. My SOS wife will is- not. My wife. I've been asking. My wife will not allow that to happen. <laughs> We'll tell her the geoholics that it's all good. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> as a as a ham radio operator, most cities, everybody knows, most cities have a, a height requirement that you're allowed to build to. As a ham radio operator, you are allowed to have a radio tower without limits. You can build it as tall as you'd like. So what, what does it allow you to do? Does it allow you to like, tap into some like really cool, I don't know, radio waves or whatever that you can hear some conversations of other people can't what you, you you used to could <laughs> i used to say yeah. you used to could yeah. when we first started back in the 90s when i got my license we were able, we were picking up people's cell phone conversations because hmm. the radio waves for the cell phones and the ham radio would would collide um now with all the filters and, and blocks we've got that's not going to happen um but every astronaut is a ham radio operator hmm. And so you can listen to all of the, when they did the shuttles, you can listen to all the shuttle missions. Wow. Um, you could talk to the space station if you wanted to. Um, you had to apply through NASA and they'd allow you airtime with them. Um, that was always fun. And then the main big thing that they most guys do for fun is just see how far you can go. How far can you actually talk? You know, can you go a mile, two miles, 10 miles? Hmm. They have, they have competitions. You'll see guys with sticky notes all behind them. They're these little cards of who the contact was, what time they did and you know, where they were located with like a Latin long. And um, that, that's the more of just how far can I push this? And with satellite radios now, you can go to pretty much anywhere around the world. Oh, I see. I see. Well, we definitely, before you uh, get out of here, I know that we had a conversation about this previously when we talked about having you on as a guest, that you are also starting a, a podcast. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I was been thinking about it for a while. I'm like, you know, I should, I got into listening to podcasts. So the guy that I listened to, his name was Rob Dial. He's a mindset mentor. Hmm. And um, he, he kind of inspired me to do a podcast. I go, you know, I got, I, 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 what's out there for surveying? And, you know, I, I came across you guys. And I came across another one that was um, the Surveyor's Hour. Um, <clears throat> and that was a pretty good one. But I noticed that, you know, it was more for guys that, even your show, I mean, it's guys just starting out that are lacking the mentors didn't have somebody to kind of guide them through anything. So I, I'm like, you know, why don't I do something like that and and kind of teach people what surveying is and, and how come I love it so much. <laughs> so yeah. that's what I did. It's the idea behind it is kind of let the public know what we do because a lot of people don't know what we do and to guide the younger generations of surveyors through, hey, you know, I, I have this problem but you know, this guy on, on his other channel may be spitting out all these legal terms for, you know, Alabama or Tennessee and we're, you know, we're in California. I mean, how do I, what's that supposed to do with me? So yeah, um, yeah. kind of what I wanted to do. 
And then I came across you guys and asked you for some advice. And you said, why don't you come on the show? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like I tell everybody, you know, anybody out there who would like to come on a guest, but maybe you're, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't have anything to say. What I tell everybody is everyone's got a story. It's, and everybody likes talking about themselves once they, once they start going. And it's our job as, as the host to kind of bring that out. So, um, yeah. Any, anybody that wants to come on, you know, shoot us an email. We'd love to have you. Perfect. And yeah, same with me. Mine's the, the, the land, surveyor junk, land survey junkie. Oh, okay, cool. Perfect. I call it the land survey junkie. And lots um, just, of uh, write-in questions. What's that? Lots of write-in questions from your listeners or future listeners. That oh, oh, to give you yeah. more topics to talk about. Oh, exactly. If you have a question, shoot me an email or um, go on to the, the website for the, for the show. Um, I'm going through a hosting system. It's called uh, Anchor. Mm. They got a website there. It's 100% free for me. Mm. And since it's a little hobby thing for me to do, and just go ahead and uh, shoot me a, a text or an email or even leave me a voicemail there and, and I'll, I'll discuss it. Um, again, yep. it's always like I tell everybody, it's, it's my opinion. Take it or leave it. But, you yep. know, yep. there are plenty of books to read from. That's the beauty of it. So what we'll do is we'll get your information <laughs> offline and be sure when we release this episode that we share it with folks so they can check it out as well. Yeah, yeah. I just put out the first episode Sunday. Nice. Episode one. Well, we had an intro and it was terrible. So don't listen to that. Um, <laughs> Have you listened seven, to our intro? <laughs> <laughs> my, my very first one was awful. I got my kids came to me. No one is bad when your kids come to you and say, Dad, music's way too long. You say, um, way too many times and you sound really nervous. Don't do that. I'm like, oh, great. So listen to episode zero plus zero one. Nice. And yes, we're naming our, uh, our episodes after stations. Gotcha. Oh, nice. <laughs> great idea. Yeah. Now everybody, after you listen to the Geoholics, go listen to Land Surveyor Junkie. But make sure we're always first. We have to yes, throw out yes. that disclaimer. But uh, even uh, even though my first one was bad, you're mentioned in it. <laughs> nice. We've been getting quite a few shout-outs lately, boys. I think we yeah. did a little something here. Yep. But uh, going back to the survey side of things, off of the ham radios and podcasts, um, usual question: What do you wish you knew? when you were younger that you could go back and tell yourself now from now? No, how far back? <laughs> Probably a few, th few things. Um, I wish, uh, well, I guess uh, I wish I would, I knew about surveying earlier. Like I said, I didn't get introduced to it until I was 25. Um, when I found it, it's like, this is exactly what I want to do. Um, and then not being afraid to just put my voice out there and saying, yeah, I might not be hundred percent correct, but I'm not necessarily wrong either. So make the mistakes, you know, and, and learn. Well, with that in mind, I, I, that almost sounded like the answer to this question, but do you have a mantra that you live by? <laughs> oh yeah. My mantra that I've lived by ever since I was a teenager is a lot different. It's a uh, <laughs> God helps those who help themselves. So don't, don't stand around and wait for somebody to give it to you. Amen. Oh, I've been doing that my whole life. And then I got a wife. 
and then finally, uh, what would your autobiography be called? Oh, I have no idea. No idea. That, that's exactly what mine's going to be called. I have no idea. <laughs> idea. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And then who would play? Who would play in the movie? Who would play me in the movie? Well, I'm pretty short, so it'd have to be Tom Cruise. He <laughs> <laughs> can do all the stunts too. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's got pretty good running form. He can he can portray my track days of those times you were hanging off airplanes and helicopters yeah, right? and stuff. Yeah, gotta have some fun. Uh, is there anything else that you want to make sure that we, that you mention? Anything we haven't touched on? No, no, not really. Um, I just I think you guys are doing a great job and uh, bringing the light what what's going on. And I know we talked a lot about the union, and I think the union is a great thing for a lot of people. And if you have any questions about it, be be willing to either get a hold of me or even John Rector. Um, we're we're there to help and, and guide you through the process. Awesome. Well, um, did a great job providing us with some really, uh, really good uh, perspective and insights. We appreciate you coming on again. Jake or uh, Stuart, you got, you got anything else? No, I think we've, we've managed to cover it all. Yep, just yep. about covers it. Yep, yep. Pretty smooth episode. Again, thanks again, Matt. And, uh, well, we hope to have you back down the road. Oh, yeah, we got a lot more to talk about. Absolutely, absolutely. And we'd be happy to come on your show as well if uh, opportunity presents itself. Sure, I got to figure it all out right now. I've, uh, I, I can plug my, my microphone into my computer and that's about it. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to get a producer, Jake. Yeah, you <laughs> right. Jake. Uh, that's me right now. You can steal them pretty cheap from us. <laughs> free, free is cheap, right? <laughs> yep, exactly. All right, cool. Well, let's uh, let's put a bow on this one. For those of you out there that haven't checked out our website yet, you can find it at thegeoholics.com. And of course, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn. We're up to about 400 followers on our Facebook page. I just checked today. That's pretty cool. And of course, you can find all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, and Spotify for simply searching for the Geoholics. And be sure to go to landsfairsunited.com and download our app. It's super cool. You get it on your phone. All the episodes are there, all the links to our friends of the program, links to the band websites. Really, really cool app that, uh, that Justin Farrell put together for us. And Last but not least, if you want to come on the show, we're booking into, gosh, I think we're about a month out right now, maybe six weeks. So if you want to come on the show, please shoot us an email at info at thegeoholics.com. And you can also hit us up at that same email address if you want to be a friend of the program. Finally, let's have the outlaw in-laws take us out with just another outlaw. Support your local musicians. Find their music on Spotify and Apple uh, Music. And of course, their videos on YouTube and on their Facebook page. Support local everybody and until next time, stay safe and healthy.
Thanks again to our friends of the program. Please be sure to check out Land Surveyors United at landsurveyorsunited.com, Unifly at unifly.aero, Bad Elf at bad-elf.com, and Parkland College at parkland.edu forward slash surveying.